Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. If you would take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation 7 today. Revelation 7. You know, uh, when I was a kid, I memorized a lot of verses. I was in Awana, and uh, uh, I will read a passage of scripture, and it's like some verse will jump off the page because I remember memorizing that as a fourth grader, a fifth grader, or a sixth grader. Uh, a couple of verses uh, that mean an awful lot to me now are actually verses that I didn't memorize in Awana. I learned them uh, a little bit later, maybe college, seminary days. Uh, one was 1 Corinthians 10.13. Uh, There's no temptation that has taken us, but such is common to man. But God is faithful to provide a way of escape. You know what that speaks about? It speaks about the goodness of God. Uh, there isn't anything that you come across, there isn't anything that I come across that God is not faithful to provide us a way out. The goodness of God. My mom's favorite Bible verse was uh, Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he will bring it to path. I always knew that she loved Psalm 37, and uh, uh, it meant so much to her and all that stuff. But I never really saw this other passage that was towards the end of the psalm, down in verse 25. And actually at her funeral, my brother talked about this verse. And uh, it just meant so much to me because he talked about how uh, David, who wrote this, said, I've been young and now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. Even though he stumbles, he will not fall headlong. And what was it that David was saying? He was saying God is good. You know, one of the, 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 the basic truths that is all throughout the Bible is that we have a good God. And uh, that's one of those things that I think we ought to keep in mind really, really regularly. Because we're living in some hard times. We're living in some dire times. And it's not always easy to see just how good God is. Now, I bring all that up today because that's actually what we're going to see. The passage of Scripture we're going to look at If you wanted to put a label on it, you would call it a passage about the goodness of God. Now, let me catch you up, okay? Uh, We have, for now, uh, five or six Sundays, we have been looking at the book of Revelation. We're calling it Jesus Revealed, because the book of Revelation is basically uh, a book that tells us all about Jesus and what he is going to do. And for the last couple weeks, we've been kind of in the middle of this vision that God gave to the Apostle John, where starting at chapter 4, he was invited to go through a door in his vision, and he stepped right into the throne room of God. And, you know, if you you missed that, I'd encourage you to go back and read those passages, because those are incredible. 
He saw these four great creatures. He saw 24 elders. He saw just a, a host of, of uh, people and angels worshiping the Lord there in the throne room of God. And then you move over to chapter 5. The, the vision continues, and you, you, uh, you saw that the one sitting on the throne, the Father, had a scroll in his hand. And that scroll, I likened it to like a treatment plan, a, uh, a plan to, to help bring about justice and to help the person who was going to receive that justice to not make the same mistake the next time. And, and, and there was great consternation over the fact that no one was qualified to take that scroll out of the Father's hand and break it open. It was a scroll that had been sealed seven times. Well, finally, the lamb that was slain, and that's Jesus, he steps forward and he is able to take that scroll out of the Father's hand. And then he proceeds to break open the seals. And that's what we saw last week in chapter 6. And it is essentially hell on earth. It's the wrath of God. There's death, there's destruction, there's disease that, that takes place. And it is a time when that the world has never seen before. It's still future. It's still out there. But the wrath of God is poured out. And at the end of that chapter, chapter 6, you got your Bible open to chapter 7? Look at the last verse of chapter 6. There's that rhetorical question, who in the world can stand? Can anyone endure all of this death, destruction, disease, and torment, and all these other things that are going on that, that were revealed in these first six judgments that God is pouring out that were revealed as he broke open those six seals? Who could stand? Well, you know what chapter 7 is? It's the answer to that rhetorical question. Here's who can stand during this time of great, great judgment. Now, what I want to do is, again, read it to you. And I'm just going to read for you chapter 7. Listen to this, okay? So we're, we're jumping right back into the vision. And just follow along with me. Revelation 7, verse 1. After this... I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind should blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom he was, it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their forehead. Verse 4, And I heard the number of those who were sealed. It was 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, from the tribe of Judah. 12,000 who were sealed. 
from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Verse 9. And then after these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues. And they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they were crying out with a loud voice, saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and honor and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And from where have they come? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation, and they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. They will never hunger no more, neither will they thirst anymore, neither will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know what that's all about? It's all about the goodness of God. You know what we see in Revelation uh, 7? We basically see two groups of people that emerge out of this, what was easily, or what is easily, the most dire situation the world will ever know. Remember I talked about the the six seals that are there in chapter 6. All this death, destruction, disease, the wars... It's horrible. Who, who can stand? And the answer is, well, actually, there's two groups of people can, that can stand. God is going to, in his goodness, save some people. You know who the first group is? I, I'll just give you a label for them. It's the sealed preachers of Israel. Okay, now go back and look at verse 1, okay? Now, this, this is great, okay? 
remember, I've been saying all along that, you know, in visions and dreams, I mean, you know, they mean something and, and all that, but there's a lot of, you know, weird things, hard to understand things, things that aren't necessarily always there. It's like, uh, you know, I had some weird dreams last night, and Vicky said she had some weird dreams last night. I don't know what it was we ate, but uh, something from about 1.30, 2.30 on, I mean, we were both dreaming weird things. Vicky was talking about how she was at the uh, Perot and getting ready to go on stage. We got to be in the Nutcracker last weekend, and she was getting ready to go on stage, and she picked up the, dr- the brush to run it through her hair, and the brush was full of uh, paint, and now her hair was the color of paint, but she had to get on the stage right away. That was her weird dreams. My weird dream was about Tim Tebow, and uh, <laughs> Tim Tebow, you know, strong Christian and all that stuff, and and I don't know why in the world I was dreaming this thing, but uh, you know how these athletes, you know, they basically are just walking billboards because they got logos all over their clothes, you know, for the, you know, they get paid to wear those clothes <laughs> with the logos on it. Uh, well, Tim Tebow, if I get this right, Kevin and uh, Jenny are going to have to help me if I get this wrong, but Tim Tebow's sister's father-in-law is now the chaplain of Dallas Seminary, where I went to seminary. And, uh, you know, so as Tim Tebow is getting ready to go out and do whatever it was, I saw the ESPN logo, and I saw the Denver Broncos logo, and I saw the University of Florida logo, and all these other things, and I kept looking for the Dallas Theological Seminary logo, and right before he stepped out, I saw it. It was down there on his belly. But anyway, (laughs) that was my dream. Okay, dreams are weird, okay, but... When there's dreams and visions in the Bible, they have meaning, okay? So some of the stuff that are in these dreams that we're looking at in in the book of Revelation, they're different. It's like there's a lot of imagery. John, I mean, you know, he didn't live in 20... This is 2023. (laughs) He didn't live. You know, he didn't see jet planes and all this stuff. He he was, you know, 2,000 years ago, and he's describing it. But... I love what verse 1 is. It says, I looked and there was these four angels, and you can just appear, imagine them. There's four angels and they're holding back the wind. They're on the four corners of the earth holding back the wind. And obviously wind in this case must have been a bad thing because sometimes wind, too much wind, you know, makes a tornado, a hurricane, a cyclone. I mean, you get wind at just the right time or really the wrong time, wind can ruin your crop. And so it's like these four angels are commanded, okay, hold back all the bad stuff for just a minute because God's got something he needs to do. And exactly how this fits into the timing, I think this is kind of simultaneously happening with what we saw in chapter 6. So if if you're tracking with all that, I think this is the first half of the tribulation. And it's like, hey, there's going to be this pause while God goes around and seals these people. Now, don't get confused. We talked about the scroll being sealed up. This word seal kind of now has the idea of, uh, if you're taking notes, you ought to write this down, Ephesians 4.30. That's, this is true of all of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. I've trusted Christ as Savior. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, it's true of you. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. 
And, and we have that sealing from him, which, which obviously Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, he's saying we're, we're protected, we're kind of marked, we're, we're identified and set apart, and, you know, we're on a mission for God, and it's not that we're not going to have some bad things happen to him, but anything that's bad is, is something that God is allowing, you know, and we're not just out there vulnerable. So we're protected. Well, these people have been sealed by God. See it in verse 3? Don't harm the earth. We're going to take a pause until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their forehead. Evidently, you know, there was, there was some kind of a seal or logo or something that was on their foreheads but it was the sealing of a protection that uh, was going to keep them from harm during this very bad time when lots of people are dying and lots of people are getting sick and lots of bad things are going on. And then from verse 4 down to verse 8, he numbers them. He says there's 144,000 of them. There's going to be 12,000 from Judah, 12,000 from Reuben, 12,000 from Simeon, Naphtali, etc., what was that? That, that? Those were the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, okay, 4,000 years ago, God tapped on the shoulder of a man named Abraham and said, through your family, I'm going to bring about salvation. I'm going to bless all humanity by providing salvation through your family. 4,000 years ago. That promise was passed down to his son, Isaac, and then that promise was passed down to Isaac's son, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And Jacob, Israel, had 12 sons. And we call those 12 the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so basically what he's saying here is from these 12 tribes, there's going to be 12,000 from each tribe for a total of 144,000. Now, let me just throw in a couple of details here that make this really super interesting. The first one is the list is a little different. For example, Dan's not mentioned. Dan was one of the sons, but he's not mentioned. Uh, Joseph is mentioned. He was a son, but Joseph's son Manasseh is mentioned. So it's like Joseph's got this double portion. Uh, Levi, in terms of always getting inheritance, a lot of times he's not mentioned. He never got any land. He just got a bunch of cities. So a lot of times he's left out, but he's mentioned here. Uh, lots of great explanations, but the honest answer is we don't know why this list is unique. But one of the things that we do know is these people obviously are Jews. These people are Jews. There's 12,000 from Judah, 12,000 from Reuben, 12,000 from Naphtali, 12,000 from Issachar, and down the list. These are real, live Jews who have Abraham's blood in their veins. Now, just to put it in, in perspective here, you know, as I said, all of this stuff is still future. There's never been a time when anything remotely happened like this. So if we're going to take God at face value and say, this is what God has said is going to happen, 
We've got to say this stuff's still out in the future. But what's kind of interesting, you, you talk to anyone that is Jewish today, and you said, hey, what tribe are you from? They wouldn't have a clue. They just never kept the records. They couldn't say, oh, I'm, I'm out of Reuben. Or, oh, I'm out of Naphtali. Oh, I'm out of Dan. I'm out of Issachar. I'm out of Zebulun. They don't know. I'm not faulting them for it. They, they just don't know. But here's the deal. God does know. A lot of times people say, look at this and say, well, you know, now these are not Jews. This is just a group of people. I mean, this, this might be us. This might be the church. Well, I don't think so. Because God is being real specific here. You can't read this and say, oh, this is talking about a bunch of Gentiles, but he's saying they're from Reuben, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh. You know, this is just the church, you know, but we're, caught, we're pretending they're Jews. No, I, I think these are real, live Jews that during the time of the tribulation, early on, God somehow saves them. They come face to face with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus really was their Messiah. And when he died on the cross, he was dying for their sins. And God saves them and commissions them to become evangelists, or like the graphic says, preachers, sealed preachers who through their ministry start explaining to a very lost world that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The 144,000 are basically the primary evangelists of this time of tribulation when all of this horrible stuff is going on. There's another group that's mentioned. And we start reading about them in verse 9. And the thing that's kind of cool is this group is created or comes about because of this first group. Who is this group? These are the saved people from all nations. So look at verse 9. So, so John is up there in heaven, and he's watching this vision, and man, all hell has just broken out on earth. A fourth of the world's population is dead. There's disease. There's all kinds of destruction going on and on and on. And then the sixth seal, which we saw last week at the end of chapter 6, there's this massive earthquake. The sun's been eclipsed. The moon's turned to blood red. And, and I mean, it's just, you know, mountains are falling and canyons are created and all this stuff. And, and in the midst of all of that, we learn that God somehow saves 144,000, seals them, gives them the protection that they can withstand this horrible thing that's going on, and through their ministry, this next group comes about. Verse 9, he says, After these things I looked, and behold, I saw a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and tribe and people. See, that's, this is another reason why I think it's literal Jews there in verses 4 down to verse 8. Because he's saying these people aren't, you know, Jews. These, these are, this is like the product or the results or the, the, the people that came to know Christ 
in, for salvation through the ministry of these guys. After these things, I looked, and behold, there was a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and tongue, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches, just like, just like on the day of the, the triumphal entry. Remember when Jesus rode the donkey into the, to, to Jerusalem on Sunday before they killed him on Friday? And the crowd is waving and, and waving their palm branches saying, oh, salvation's through you, salvation's through you. Hail the king of the Jews. I mean, it's the same kind of picture. These people are celebrating, and they've got white robes on, which seems to always, throughout the book of Revelation, means these people have been purified. These people have been made holy. These people have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And they're crying out, halfway through verse 10, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're praising God for what he's done. And in verse 11, all the angels and the creatures, they're all you know, face-planting in worship before the Lord because look at all these people that are saved. I mean, my goodness, all hell is breaking out on earth. And even in the midst of that dire destruction and death, people are getting saved. People are coming to know Christ. This 144,000 are having some success. Verse 12, and they're saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And I love verse 13, okay? Verse 13, okay, get, get the picture here. This is so cool. It's like John is, is just like I would be, and I bet just like all of us would be. He is sitting there, and he's looking at it, and his mouth's got to be open, and he's just like amazed. And, 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 and it's like he's taking it all in because here is this crowd that he says nobody could count it. And, and the, here, here's, you know, he's been... He was Jewish, and for the last 60 years, he's been trying to convince his Jewish brethren that Jesus really was the Messiah and wasn't having a lot of success at it, having a lot more success with Gentiles, non-Jews. But here he just saw that, man, there's going to be 144,000 Jews get saved, and they are going to be so fruitful in ministry, they're going to lead just this multitude that nobody could count, and they'll get saved? And they're all up here in heaven? I mean, he is just dumbfounded. Or as the word was used in uh, the, the community group at 930, they, they, he is God-smacked, okay? He's astonished. He is God-smacked. And I love this. Look at verse 13. One of the elders, it's like one of the elders perceived. This is probably one of the 24 elders around the throne. One of the 24 elders walks over to him and says, who are these people? And he's sitting there thinking, I have no clue. I mean, who are they? I, I, he can't figure it out. And it's almost like God had the, the elder go ask John because it's like, John, this is huge. This is huge. John, this is a major thing that you're seeing. And I don't want you to miss it. Because I want you to write it down when you record it for the seven churches and for all the other churches, including Fellowship Bible Church, in 2,000 years. He says, one of the elders said, 
These that are clothed in white, who are they? Where did they come from? And and John kind of comes to his senses there in verse 14, and he says, I bet you know. I don't. My Lord, you know. And look what he says. He says, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they're before the throne of God, and they are serving him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over him. He, he, he's gonna, he, these people that probably had been homeless, he's going to provide them a home. And I love verse 16 and 17. They're not going to hunger. They're not going to thirst. The sun ain't going to beat down on them. They're not going to feel that hard heat. Because the lamb is going to be their shepherd. And he's going to guide them to those cool springs of water of life. And God's going to wipe away every tear. Now, there, we're just going to stop. The vision keeps going. And we'll actually pick it up in January. We're going to stop and focus on Christmas starting next week. But we're just going to pause right there. And I just want to ask you, okay, here, what's going on here? Well, maybe at the highest level, we're seeing God's goodness. Remember I started off talking about how good God is and how many times we don't see God's goodness. But here it is in the most dire time of history, God is providing the opportunity for people to get saved. And people are trusting Christ. People are coming to faith in Christ. God, God, God picked out 144,000 evangelists and protected them and empowered them, sealed them. Maybe sealed them with the Holy Spirit, just like he's actually sealed you and sealed me if we've trusted Christ as Savior. And through their ministry, here's this host in heaven who have come to know Jesus Christ just since all of that stuff started with that first seal getting broken open. It's not like these are a bunch of people that were like me and grew up in the church or like you and they came to know Christ in college or young adults or teenager or whatever. These, these are people, I mean, as those seals started getting broken open and they saw the death and the destruction that was there and they heard the testimony, the witness, the gospel through these 144,000, they were like, that's right. And they believed, they trusted. And perhaps they died as part of that 25% that died but because they had trusted Christ as personal Savior, they went into the presence of the Lord. They went to the throne room of God, and they were there worshiping him. That's how good God is. Even in the direst of circumstances, God is still good. And if you look for it, you can see it. And at the highest level, you know, with all the stuff that we could 
spend a lot of time trying to figure out and analyze and put onto a time chart and all that stuff, just at the highest level, you can't read the book of Revelation, no matter what perspective you're reading it from. Pre-mill, ah-mill, post-mill, no-mill, whatever. You got to say, what the point of this chapter is, is God is good. And you know what? He was good to these people out in the future. He's good to these people here in the present. He's good to me. He's good to you. God is good. As you know, I always like to, to just wrap it up and say, so what? I mean, God is good. I mean, we're living in these last two, three years and the way the last couple months have gone with all the stuff going on in Israel and Palestine and all that stuff. I mean, it looks terrible. I mean, it doesn't take much imagination at all to, to see that we could get into World War III before New Year's. But even in the most dire of circumstances, God is good. How will God pan it out for us? I don't know. But for these people, God provides them with the gospel, with people whose lives have been transformed and changed. And they're saying, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And a host, or as my Bible says, a multitude, Trust Christ. That's the first one. Don't ever doubt God's goodness. I think Satan is constantly working on me, working on others, for us to to just focus on the rough times, the hard times. And God is saying, I am good. Boy, at this time of year, when we're celebrating the advent of Jesus Christ, Why did he come? He came to seek and to save the lost. I was lost. You were lost. He came to seek us and to save us. Boy, if ever there was a time to focus on the goodness of God, it's now. God is good. But I can't help but but throw in one more. Heaven is wonderful. Look, Look at these last couple verses. This is where I'm going. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, this is where you're going. No matter what life is like between now and the day my brain stops waving and my heart stops beating and my lungs stop pumping. I mean, this is where I'm going. This is where you're going. Look at verse 16. We're never going to be hungry. We're never going to be thirsty. We're not going to have that sun beating down on us in the hate, in the heat. The lamb, he's going to be our shepherd. He'll guide us to those cool springs of water of life. And he's going to wipe away every tear. No regret, no sorrow, perfect peace. How did Psalm uh, 1611 put it? In his presence is perfect peace. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's heaven. 
That's the gift that God has offered to us through Jesus Christ. Don't forget how good God is or how wonderful heaven is. Because that's ours for those who have trusted Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Just before we close, I'd like you to just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. And I, I just once again, if you are here and you're not really sure you've trusted Christ, you're not really sure what I mean about all this stuff about being a Christian or having faith in him, having him forgive our sins, let me just try to make it as clear as I can. Jesus Christ came to die for you. You deserve to die. You deserve separation from God. All of us do. But Jesus Christ died on the cross to take that penalty so that through simple faith and trust in him, you can have eternal life. You can have a relationship with God that is actually real. He'll listen to your prayers. He'll, he'll work for your good because you have become a child of God. And if you're not certain you are a child of God, I encourage you right now to trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And I'd also encourage you to then take the step and say something to me or to Andy or someone else that looks like they know what they're doing so that we can just rejoice with you that you've trusted Christ. Father, I thank you that in the midst of uh, what is going to be some of the worst stuff that the world has ever seen, you still have the power and the love to reach into humanity and to save sinners. Father, we recognize here today that uh, in the same way those evangelists were sealed, we're sealed. Uh, maybe it's the same sealing. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that perhaps uh, one of the outcomes of today would be that we might recognize that you don't want us just to sit back and enjoy your goodness and be thrilled that we get to go to wonderful heaven. It might be that, Father, we also have people in our life that need us to speak the gospel into their lives. Father, I pray that, that you would help each of us who do know you to be evangelists, just like these 144 are going to be evangelists. And Father, that we would have those gospel conversations with people who need to come to know Jesus Christ so that they, too, can gather around the throne and proclaim that salvation is from our God. Father, Encourage us today through your word. For it's in Christ's name we pray. 
Amen.